So I'm reading uh, tonight from uh, Ruth chapter 4, which is page 189 for Church Bibles. That's 189. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kingsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. When he said to the kingsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother, Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabites, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead man with his property. At this, the kingsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption of and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This is, was the method of legalising transactions in Israel. So the kingsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead man with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are my witnesses. When the elders of all those at the gate said, We are witnesses, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring of the Lord, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he went to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kingsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amadad, Amadab, 
no, or whatever his name is, <laughs> the father of Nashron, and Nashron the father of Salom, and Salom the father of Boaz, and Boaz the father of Obed, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Good evening, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name's John. I'm going to be reading the second Bible reading, and you can find it on page uh, one, or it's up on the screen, but uh, 681. Uh, It's Matthew chapter one, starting at verse one. Matthew chapter one starting at verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jeshophat, Jeshophat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Thanks, Kylie and John. Uh, Let me add my welcome, especially if you're new or visiting. uh, Perhaps if it's your first time back at church for a long while, it's confirmed all your fears. We sit around and read long lists of strange names that seem slightly irrelevant. Uh, I hope a little later on you will see the relevance rather than its irrelevance. Uh, Ruth, though, that first reading is where you want to be. Uh, We're going to pick it up again from there. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we arrive at the end of Ruth. It's an exciting story, 
Uh, if you didn't catch it the last few weeks, that's all right. You can, you can read back and find out what happened in the first three episodes. Uh, but we pick it up in chapter 4 uh, and we see what God has to say to us in this last part of Ruth. Uh, let's pray that God might speak clearly to us. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, your love and your kindness, your grace and your mercy. Uh, Father, we thank you for the way in which uh, you see that uh, we are ignorant of you by nature, and so you speak to us. Father, thanks for your word. We thank you for its clarity, and even more, we thank you for your spirit that accompanies your word and applies your word to our hearts and minds, and we pray that he might be at work this night in our lives. Help us to grow and change and love the things that you love, that we might be in every way pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Earlier on this week, uh, our city was witness to a tragedy at Villawood Detention Centre. Uh, Fijian detainee, if you didn't uh, catch the news, uh, fell or jumped to his death. Uh, he was part of a larger group uh, of people whose frustration had boiled over. Uh, there was one man who uh, had a sign on the rooftop. He'd actually smeared his own blood uh, on it. And the sign read, we need help and freedom. Yeah, there is a group of people who long for redemption. By redemption, I mean people who, who recognise that they are in a position they can't get out of. They need someone else to step in and pull them out of it. They need someone to step in and rescue them. Uh, the words on another banner uh, at least began with, we are human. You know, whatever your thoughts about uh, the politics of detention or uh, illegal immigration... Remember, these people are human. And what we have in our city are, are fellow humans who actually see, who recognise they have a great need for redemption. And we need to realise they're actually not unusual. So thinking over this chapter and thinking over uh, their circumstance in Villawood, I was reminded of, of that fundamental longing, uh, that fundamental need we all have for redemption. You know, we, we, we're all flawed and our world is failed and, and so we all have times where we need to be redeemed, we want to be redeemed. You know, whether it's that uh, sinful habit that you just can't break or the, the corner that uh, our lies have backed us into at work or perhaps the pain that we've caused a friend and destroyed a friendship Maybe it's just the frustration of this world with its senseless suffering and that you're just experiencing all the time. Now, deep in all of us is a reality we need redemption. Uh, too often we can cover it over. But every now and then, like it is for those at Villawood, uh, it is raw and exposed. And Ruth 4 is a good word for us. Because it's ultimately a word of redemption. It's a nice ending for Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, but it only makes sense if you know the dark and remember the dark undercurrent of lack and emptiness that the book began with. So Ruth 4, as we delve into it, opens up how people, people like those in Villawood, people like you and me, can actually find a freedom in the God who loves to redeem. So episode 4, as we just had it read to us from Kylie, 
Um, it, it ties up all those loose ends. Uh, not with one ending, but actually gives us three endings to the book. Uh, so the first loose end to be tied up is Ruth's redemption in, in the first 12 verses. And then, then we move on to a, a second ending with Naomi's redemption. Uh, and then a final ending uh, in verse 18 and following, which is, is an anticipation of more redemption. It's not so much an ending, but it's actually a beginning. Uh, and each of these in turn, points to the nature of what redemption is really like, that that redemption is costly and that redemption flows only from love and that redemption can produce joy. We're going to look at each of the endings in turn. Come with me as we we journey back into Ruth. Um, The first ending is in her redemption. Uh, So last episode, if you're with us, it left us with a problem. Uh, Under the cover of night, uh, Ruth had called on Boaz, come spread your wings over me, put your garment over me, marry me, uh, 3 verse 9. And Boaz, he was thrilled with her kindness, but there was someone with a, a prior legal claim to marry her. And so the episode, though, finishes with, with a sense of confidence. Uh, 3 verse 18, just before where we read, Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. You know, Naomi understood here is a man in love, and so he's going to act. You know, and so 4 verse 1, what does he do? Boaz goes straight to the town gate. Um, Go to the town gate, it's a strategic spot, you can see anyone who comes in and out. But even more, it's the place where transactions happened. It's where you went for business. Uh, And Boaz is a man, you know, on task. He is there for business. Uh, And he doesn't have to wait long. You you can see God's quiet hand behind events is again suggested because amazingly the redeemer who he needs to run into happens to walk in the gate and take his seat just at the key moment. And Boaz goes, speaks to him, lays the situation out before this guy. Uh, he's surrounded by 10 elders. In this case, they're, they're not so much judges. They're just there to witness and approve what's going on. Uh, and in verse 3, he gives this redeemer an offer too good to refuse. You know, there is a parcel of land on offer from Naomi. You know, all, all land in Israel was the Lord's, just like all the land of the world is the Lord's. Uh, God just allowed his people to, to steward, to effectively lease it. Uh, So sales were possible if an Israelite person got to the brink of poverty. But if they did have to get to that point, they had to sell it to a relative. He'd have to stay amongst those whom God allocated it to. And then when it it came to a jubilee, you may have heard that uh, expression before, a jubilee, a celebration of 50. Uh, So seven lots of seven, 49. The year after that is the jubilee year, the 50th year. On that year, everything went back to the original family. All the old deals were off. Because God always gave land that his people might be cared for. He didn't give it that some might grow rich at brethren's expense. Which is perhaps a fairly challenging idea to the way we view ownership, isn't it? You know, unlike modern Sydney, God expects his people to be clearer on their responsibilities as stewards rather than their rights as owners and possessors. Uh, I was really kind of warmed in heart. I, I was witness to uh, a gift this morning. Uh, you know, a Christian couple who clearly understood that, that wealth wasn't about theirs for ownership, uh, but rather for sharing and caring for others and providing them. Uh, but Boaz is banking on the fact that this redeemer doesn't think that way. Because you might have noticed, at first read, you might have been thinking, hang on, Boaz, you're talking about land. We've never talked about land before. Haven't you forgotten about Ruth? That's the whole point, isn't it? Oh, no, no, no. Boaz has a cunning plan. Uh, 
put out this offer too good to refuse, risk-free land grab, Redeemer pays a little bit, and you can see, well, you can imagine ticking in his mind, he gets to look respectable in the community as well, because, oh, he's helping out this poor widow, and at the same time, she's old, she's not going to have a kid who will one day inherit this land and have to give it back to, she's not going to have a child who potentially will, you know, wreck his inheritance and take it away from his family line, super. And so at the end, verse 4, oh, yes, I'll redeem it, of course, sign me up. Now, normally at that point, um, the, the elders would go, excellent, pronounce a blessing just like they do later on. But Boaz then leaps in, the cunning plan is in action. Okay, ah, a little proviso. Redemption comes with a cost. Ruth. Uh, and he goes to efforts in verse 5 of emphasising that she's foreign. So suddenly for this guy, the expense has skyrocketed. This is not the bargain he thought it was going to be. Um, It will cost him a wife who's actually of an age who could produce expensive kids who in time will then take a share of his inheritance away from the line. A bulletin article uh, not so long ago about the million-dollar baby uh, concluded, in most Australian capital cities, the cost of raising a child is about $1 million for a high-income family with an annual combined income of $150,000 or more. And these affordability factors are affecting couples' decision to have more children. Out of five. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure what the exchange rate is for, you know, millions of dollars in modern terms to EFARs and measures of barley in ancient Israel. But you can see, you know, this redeemer thinks like a modern Sydney person. You know, there was an opportunity for cheap land. Oh, no, expense. And so he gets out. He quickly hands the sandal over, symbol of power, uh, and he gives it, Boaz, you've now got the power, you've got the authority to be the redeemer. I'm stepping away. And just in that little exchange, you see the reality of redemption. You know, redemption, real redemption is costly. That it flows from love, and ultimately what redemption can do is produce joy. You know, so, so the cost meant that that redeemer dropped out, but Boaz, he's a man driven by love. Uh, in, in chapter 1, Ruth's loving kindness to Naomi was set as you know, extravagant compared to Orpah, who did a really sensible thing and went back to Moab with her family. But here, it's Boaz's extraordinary kindness that's compared to the nameless redeemer. You know, the writer goes to an effort to make sure he's nameless and that we notice it. So in, in verse 1, we have the word uh, friend, you know, my friend. The original is more of the sense of Mr. So-and-so. You know, it's, he wants to draw attention to this fact who doesn't even deserve, of a man who doesn't deserve a name because he is so unloving. He fails to support his kin and redeem them. Because yeah, redemption is costly. It flows from love and the outcome, joy. Now, the elders' reaction in verse 11, have a look at it on the, uh, the page over, they, they bless. Now, May the Lord make the woman who is coming to your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel... May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring that the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar brought to Judah. Now they, they ask that family and fame would come on Boaz. They, they pray that he might have joy and blessing. And that, that pattern, that ending for Ruth is the same pattern in the second ending as Naomi gets redeemed. So Naomi began this story, you might remember, as an empty woman. Uh, Her physical emptiness got resolved in chapter 1. Her spiritual emptiness seems to have been resolved in chapter 2 and 3. And now, though, there's this void of destitution that gets filled. 
as Ruth becomes Naomi's redeemer. Because you might remember Ruth's first marriage led just to death. But in verse 13 uh, of chapter 4, the Lord acts to grant a new life to Boaz and Ruth. A son is given. And then Ruth and Boaz just kind of fade and disappear into the background. And the local women uh, start praising the Lord for what has happened. Verse 14, uh, the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. You know, they are praising God for everything God has done. You know, he's brought them back from Moab. He's connected Ruth and Boaz. He's, he's given this child a, a kinsman redeemer for Naomi. But the women also see, in verse 15, the love of Ruth, worth more than seven sons. If you were with us a few weeks ago, you might remember how Earlier on, Naomi was so consumed by her emptiness that she'd been embittered and couldn't see the good things that God had given. She was blind to them. She was so empty feeling and embittered. The problem now is she's so full, she's blind to blessing. Her fullness means she still doesn't recognize how good Ruth is to her. It's left to the other women to praise Ruth. Maybe if it wasn't a few weeks ago, emptiness that embittered you and made you unable to see the kindness of God, perhaps it's the fullness. Perhaps that's us. You know, we've so much to enjoy that it is possible to to forget to thank the one who provides. Uh, I've been asking the question of um, people in our church, uh, across congregations, uh, across connect groups, uh, of whether our our church and connect groups are characterised by thankfulness. whether, Whether our tone of speech is marked by appreciation more than grumbling. You know, whether our prayer times are more about gratitude than they are about requests. I'm assuming at this point you're answering the question in your own minds of whether you think we are or not. At best, the response I've been hearing is, oh, you were okay. Uh, at worst, people say, oh, not particularly. And like Naomi, is it that we are... We are so distracted by our fullness as people and as a church, because by and large we are, we are a people of blessing and fullness. Uh, but is it that we have so much we've forgotten to thank the one who gave it? You know, I love how C.S. Lewis uh, talks about um, us as Christian people as jolly beggars. I just think it's a great expression to describe yourself as a jolly beggar. You know, he talks about how um, because we can only come to God contributing nothing, we come as beggars. But in his grace, God substitutes a full, childlike and delighted acceptance of our need, a joy in total dependence. We become jolly beggars. Yeah, and we mustn't let you know, God's generosity in filling us so full leave us like Naomi to forget to be thankful. Because Naomi leaves her friends to praise Ruth, who redeemed Naomi at a costly price, She actually redeems him at the cost of her firstborn child. How? Work with me here. Follow the little story. Uh, You know, Ruth and Boaz disappear from the scene, which is suggesting there's more than a normal grandmother relationship going on. Uh, The description in verse 16 that Naomi um, cared for him actually is more literally that she became the foster mother. And so the women declare in verse 17 that it's Naomi, not Ruth who has a son. Naomi has a son. She has been redeemed from death and emptiness in chapter 1 as Ruth 
hands her child over to her mother-in-law to treat as her own a replacement for her dead son Marlon, who was once his husband. You know, the reality of redemption is driven home again. Redemption is costly. Uh, and it flows, as 15, verse 15 pointed out, it flows from love and it produces joy. And then we get that final ending to the book. You know, something greater is anticipated in the end of the book. It, the, the rhythm of the whole story is broken. Uh, and the genealogy is there to show us that this story is not just about one family and them getting redeemed. The ending is about a beginning. Uh, Ruth's story is really David's story. Uh, Israel's greatest king was to, was to come from Obed, that, that little baby redeemer. Uh, you know, the outside of Ruth has been invited into God's people, become part of Israel's royal line, and that, that royal family now includes people who are undeserving, people who are, who are aliens, foreigners, strangers. See, Ruth is not just about romance. It's more than about loving kindness. It's more than about welcoming outsiders in. It's a key way of seeing the way in which God saves. God saves through the mundane and ordinary. So there's, no, there's no parting of the sea here. Um, there's no cities, walls that collapse when a group of people march around and blow some trumpets. Um, there's no incredible military victories or judges with incredible superpowers you know, pushing temples down to make them collapse, which it's said at the time of judges, that kind of stuff was going on. There was the spectacular happening, but no, no, no. This is to remind us that God works salvation in really ordinary ways. See, Naomi had prayed in 1 verse 9, May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And Boaz prayed in 2 verse 12, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you came for refuge. And what have we seen in chapter 4? You know, we've seen the blessings of the elders. We've seen the Lord answer those prayers in really quite mundane ways. There's a lesson for us, isn't there, that we mustn't overlook or despise that Ongoing work of God to save in the mundane and the ordinary. It's been said to me that uh, there's been surprise how little impact our church has had on this community. You know, it's true that you know we, we do have a foolish building here at the moment, but you know, there are a lot of people who aren't here. Tiny little drop in the ocean of curability. You know, our mission statement is living for Jesus, loving like Jesus. Our vision is to, to plant and grow Bible-based churches in this area that the lost might be reached with the gospel of Christ. And no, there hasn't been revival in this city of epidemic proportions. You, know, we're not, you didn't have to get a ticket to get in tonight. You know, we weren't fighting them off in that way. But God has been at work, and we mustn't despise it. You know, in the routine of people, one by one, uh, coming to church with us, perhaps for the first time in a long time, placing their trust in Jesus. You know, in those conversations that we've had uh, after I Heart Curability that have led, I know, of some people now reading the Bible. You know, in the Simply Christianity courses that are, are continually running with people coming and examining the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, in the very mundane seeming work of God's Spirit working in us, reforming us as we come here each week and sit under his word and spend time looking at it week in, week out. You know, church, uh, connect group, personal Bible reading, prayer, uh, family and flatmate devotions, 
meeting with friends for lunch and prayer, uh, you know, sharing uh, your love of Christ with your neighbours and friends, uh, being a worker of integrity, being a neighbour of kindness, it all seems a little mundane, doesn't it? It's not particularly spectacular. You know, Sydney, we, we live in an exciting city. It's a great city. We've got so much good food, we've got great weather, we've got good entertainment. But we mustn't grow tired of doing the very mundane actions of Christian living because God works his salvation out through the very ordinary. And at the same time, just as Ruth, as a book, points us to the ordinary nature of God's salvation, it also points us forward to the spectacular redemption that God brings about through the work of Christ. So that family tree... Um, you know, there was an intention behind making John read Matthew 1 uh, and go through those name after name because you would have noticed that Ruth gets a notable mention and, and so do others like Tamar. She pops up as well. There's clear links that are being put. At, but where Ruth's genealogy finishes with David, Matthew finishes with Christ, the Lord Jesus. You know, and outsiders from every nation, just like an outsider like Ruth came into there, outsiders come into Jesus' kingdom, his family. You know, Ruth wasn't naturally part of God's family. She was outside, but God redeemed her and brought her in. You know, the story of Ruth is to set us up for our own redemption, what we experience through Christ, what is on offer for all. Because like redemption in Ruth, Jesus brings a redemption for us that is costly. Uh, 1 Peter 1 says, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from our forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. A journalist who witnessed modern-day modern slave trading in Sudan uh, commented, a lot of the times we in the West, in America and in Europe, like to say that life is precious and it is priceless. You can't put a value on it. But here the price of life is two goats, about $30. And you hear that and you go, that's offensively cheap. But what is the value of a life? You know, what price is reasonable to redeem your life eternally? So the real price is one that we could never pay, and even if we could, we probably wouldn't. You know, it's the life of the perfect Son of God. You know, the shock of the gospel and real redemption is that, that your redemption is so offensively expensive. God did put a price on you, the life of his own Son, and he paid it to the full. And like redemption in Ruth, Jesus' redemption flows from love, Ephesians 1.7 uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Uh, Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher, spoke of Jesus on the cross this way. He said, it seemed as if hell were put into his cup and he seized it and at one tremendous draft of love, he drank damnation dry. You know, only, only love would see Christ redeem you, his enemy, at such a cost. You know, as as we've been talking tonight of redemption, I would hope that none of us leave uncertain just to how, how deeply and profoundly you are loved by God. And like redemption in Ruth, Jesus brings the joyous opportunity to live a life of fullness and joy. And not, not the fullness of having um, all our desires met, 
but the fullness of being able to live God's way. No longer slaves. Um, Titus 2.14 speaks of Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. See, we need a redeemer, even if perhaps you haven't recognized that in you before. We need a redeemer because by nature we are slaves. By nature we don't have a choice except to follow the ways of sin and selfishness and the devil. We are, we are in death's grip. But in redemption, Jesus wins. And so we no longer have to do what sin and the devil want us to. You know, the, the threat of death is broken. We're now able to actually live pleasing God. We are freed. From that kind of slavery. Now, of course, we, we, we'll still fail this side of heaven. Uh, we still long for the, the day of redemption where we won't even entertain those old ways of slavery. Uh, yes, this side of heaven, we're not going to experience redemption in full. Now, a Villawood detainee uh, who comes to that kind of trust in Christ will still be locked up. You know, and we ourselves, even as we have our trust in Christ, this side of heaven will still be subject to senseless suffering like you know, the great grief of hearing Miriam and those we support in Vietnam. You know, only heaven's going to deal with all that for the redeemed. But at the same time, don't, don't walk away thinking it's just all in the future. We, we don't want to undervalue what we experience now as redeemed people. Cycles of sin can actually be broken. We no longer have to be slaves there. You know, ruined relationships can, painful as it is, can be repaired. We, we, we can fix those things up. We do experience many of the comforts of redemption, even now. And that brings transforming joy, doesn't it? And not the joy we're going to have in heaven, that'll be, that's indescribable. But we can have transforming joy even now. You know, once you've tasted the sweets of freedom in serving Christ, how miserable would it be to turn back to the old ways of slavery? A friend of mine talked about how after his conversion, uh, he made a decision that he would stop sleeping with his girlfriend. Uh, they, they stayed together. Uh, he found it hard. She found it harder because she wasn't at that point a Christian. And he did it, though, because in redemption, he found more joy in living the way that God had redeemed him. Uh, he did it because he understood he'd been redeemed from sin for good. Now, that sign that uh, you might have seen in the newspaper this week hanging over Villawood and the rooftop there, is the sign that hangs over all our lives. We need help and freedom. Yeah, and the story of Ruth's redemption is the solution, the answer for all our lives. You know, perhaps tonight you're, you're feeling it a little more acutely than normal. Perhaps it's been a little raw and exposed, that need for redemption. Don't leave tonight without having that resolved. Don't, don't go without finding rest. Uh, but for those of us who know completely that joy of redemption, you know, delight in it. You know, the, the ending of Ruth is pointing to the new beginning that we experience, that anyone who, who responds to the Redeemer, who puts their trust and, in Christ and refuge in Him, will find satisfaction. For in Ruth, we're reminded of what Christ has done for us, His redemption at a cost, His redemption from love. His redemption that makes us people of joy. Let's give thanks for that now. Now, Lord and Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the fact that you have seen our need and our brokenness and our slavery. 
our desperate need for redemption and you have not left us alone but rather have stepped in at the cost of your son that we might find redemption and have life. We thank you for the love uh, that you have poured out upon us. We thank you for the joy that we can experience in part now and we look forward to that day of redemption, the full day of redemption where we will rejoice completely in words we can't describe now. In Jesus' name we give you thanks. Amen.